Hello, podcast friends, and welcome to today's episode of the 15 Minutes of Fame podcast. I'm your host, Erica with Celeb Connect, and today we're talking to comedian Chip Ambrosio. Uh, we've had Chip on the podcast before, but today we're having him on as part of our speaker series as he's one of the comedians that we feature um, love to book and work with. And we're going to be talking about something that I think is really, I'm guessing is very near and dear to to all speakers and especially comedians' hearts, which is bombing. And I don't mean blowing things up, but I mean getting on stage and having the audience not catch what you're throwing. So hi, Chip. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. <laughs> and thanks for um, you know asking me as an expert on a topic that I know a lot about bombing, which is great. <laughs> for having <laughs> The 15 Minutes of Fame podcast, your destination to learn from people that are passionate about their business and have amazing stories to tell. Are you ready to elevate your expectations of what you thought was possible? It's time to get inspired. No, but all comics, all <laughs> comics, all speakers, everyone has had that experience of bombing. And um, it's not fun, but it's kind of like a growth experience. I've been in the audience, I think most people have, um, when there's a comedian or somebody on stage, and I mean, you feel, like you actually feel pain for the person who's up there, like it's painful to watch. You know, people starting out especially, I mean, do you think that you can be a comedian without bombing at least a few times? No, I mean, like it's part of the journey. It's a growth process. Um, a lot of famous comics came up with their acts while they were bombing, like Tim Allen was bombing at a like it was a home improvement convention and he came up with that whole tool time character when he was bombing. And uh, that became his act, which turned into a home improvement series and millions and millions of dollars. So, um, you know, bombing is something that you go through. It's not fun, but as you go through like 20 years of doing stand-up, you learn how to deal with it better, you know? So I remember one time I was booked to do... Um, a, uh, a roast for a, a friend of mine. And it's always the friends that put you in that situation, right? <laughs> and they're like, hey, you know, come on, do, do a roast for uh, this guy that was running for selectment in uh, some town and, you know, like really a big high profile gig. Anyway, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, they didn't give me anything on the guy. And the day of, they say, oh, please, let's do a roast. And they gave me some notes. So I wrote, the material and I said, give me a podium, give me something so I could at least look at it. No podium, no nothing, no introduction, no friends are doing anything. So I go up and it's 350 drunken cops and firemen. And um, it was just horrible. Before I went on stage, I said to the guy, just give me my money, put my money in my hand before I go up. I went up and in the <laughs> middle of my set, some guy, who's loaded out of his mind is screaming, call 911 because you're killing me. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Oh, no. That's the best line of the night. But anyway, yeah, bombing is tough. But like I said, it, it, it's a growth experience. I'm sure the audience, like you said, they want to be comfortable. They want the comic to be comfortable. And it's really unnerving to be in the audience and watch someone struggle. It is. And that brings me to, to a question. How do you know when you're not doing well, besides people yelling out things at you? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the great comedian Bill Hicks said, if you can't be funny, be interesting. So before I go up on stage, if I'm the guy closing the show, I watch how the audience is reacting to the other comics in front of me. 
So sometimes if the audience isn't like laughing at everything, they're still interested because they're leaning forward, they're, um, they're engaged. So I guess it's the fact that they're engaged. If the audience isn't engaged, you have side conversations going on at the table. Once that happens, once people just break off from you, it's mm -hmm. hard to get them back, but you can do it. You can do it. I remember one time I was doing a show and um, the audience just was a bad audience, not into it. And some club owners will say there's no bad audiences. Well, there are bad audiences, I think, right? Or there's bad situations to put a comedian in, right? Comedy people need to be sitting down. They need to be engaged. Uh, music is different, right? Music, people can walk around. They can listen to music in the background. You know, an audience has to pay attention for a joke to work. So people were talking. Um, so I took the mic stand and I put the mic stand in the middle of their conversation. I moved off the stage and I started doing the stand-up right in that little group of people. And eventually people started to listen. Um, and then other pockets started to listen. Then I could move back onto the stage. Now, you make a choice. It doesn't mean it's going to work. You know, you make a choice. Right. They, uh, um, they say a B comic becomes an A comic when he gets a laugh on the first joke because it builds confidence. The A comic is the comic that doesn't get the laugh on the first five jokes and is able to get the audience back. Right. Yeah. And I like what you're talking about as far as, I think there can be, a, I know that there can be a bad audience and it's not necessarily the people individually, but it kills me to put a comedian in a room where the bars are in the room and people are standing around and mingling because it's yeah. really difficult to get their attention or to put a speaker or a comic at a golf tournament with a group that you know is going to drink a lot and they're just not going to be engaged yeah. by the end of the day. Yeah. Drinkers and golfers. Those are the tough audiences. So, you know, <laughs> combine them together, you know, like, and then they're like, what's your handicap? Well, my handicap right now is you. So put down the gin and tonic and try to listen to, you know, to, to, to what I'm saying. You know, I spent years crafting this material and just because, you know, you shot a bogey on, on the 18th hole. Now you're ticked off and you don't want to listen to me. So, but yeah. it's a, <laughs> it, it is just that, in an unnerving experience. I always say it's, it's like being a relief pitcher coming in in the ninth inning and giving up the home run and losing the game. And then you have to go back out and do it again. Uh, I remember my first road gig that um, I experienced that I was doing three shows in bananas and Poughkeepsie. Right. And the last show, it was the night that um, Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield's ear. And I remember that. Came yes. in. <laughs> and no matter what I did, I just could not get the audience. And then you watch, because that's when you're starting out. I was probably, I was emceeing. I was probably doing it for a year. Then you watch the more experienced comic go up and they're able to get the audience, which makes you feel worse. Yeah, Chip. So I know you teach comedy to people. You know, what advice would you have for somebody starting out? I mean, how do they, so there's a possibility they're going to bomb at some point. If you feel it happening, you know, and you don't have the experience you do to maybe jump down off the stage or feel comfortable doing something like that, I mean, how do you prepare for that? Well, you make a choice and, you know, it all comes with experience too. Like in a smaller room, I always say if it's a private party or something like that, you need to talk to the audience. You need to do more crowd work. Um, so it's talk to some people, try to get some people on your side, then work in the material. Um, the crowd sometimes likes to make it about them. 
even though really comedy is not about them. But even a little crowd work sometimes, you know, pulls them in. You know, don't uh, rush the material. That's what happens. That's what always happens with a younger comic because they rush the material because they're not trusting that the joke is going to work. So if you keep your timing and pausing, it allows you to kind of be in control. Like a pause shows confidence. So what usually happens is when you get that flop sweat and it's going, everything seems to go faster. <laughs> so you want to just kind of like pull back a little bit and you make a choice. It's kind of like acting, you know, actors make a choice. You make a choice, which way am I, I'm going to go. When I started, they said, do your, do your five jokes if they don't work and you're not getting them, come out of the bit and see if there's any way that you can pull them in. Um, and like I said, you know, never know what's gonna, if it's going to work or not. But a younger comic would stick with the material and um, that, that's not going to work. You have to come up with something new. I remember when I started and I was doing a show in a bar and the comic was on stage and a fight breaks out in the bar and they break the gumball machine and the gumballs are rolling across the stage <laughs> and the comic doesn't even reference it. He's like, hey, you know, how about that airline food? You have to mention that gumballs are rolling across the stage. <laughs> it's the here and now that will kind of sometimes save you from bombing. Acknowledge that you're bombing sometimes. Um, Carson used to always have bomb lines. Um, and some comics don't like to do that. Other comics do do that. And there's kind of a, uh, a realization with the audience at that point that you know it's not working out. Hey, let's try to get it back. Let's try to get everybody on, on the same page. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, you know, if there's something like major in the news or something that happened that everyone's thinking about, maybe you have to address that and, and say something about it to kind of get everybody with you if that's what they're thinking about. Yeah, you know what? I have a great example. I, sometimes a producer who's a, a new producer doesn't understand how to set up comedy, Right. And I did a show one time in this really upscale restaurant. And I think half of the audience didn't know that there was going to be comedy. So I'm the headliner and I watch the other comics go up and it's just brutal. And they are talking while it's going on. Um, so then when I got up, I just acknowledged, you know, the elephant in the room. I'm like, how many people knew that there was going to be a comedy show here tonight? And only a few people knew. And then I realized the other table of 20 to the side, they're all Armenian and only half of them speak English, right? So <laughs> they so have I, to speak the language, very they important. Have to speak the language, right? So I, and then there was an Armenian waiter, right? And I'm like, this guy should be up here instead of me. At least he could connect with them in, in their native language. But I said, guys, give me 10 minutes. If I don't make you laugh in 10 minutes, go back to your conversations, right? And so luckily it worked out and I was able to get through the set. And I guess it all comes down to if you know it's not working out, make a choice. Take it somewhere that you didn't plan on taking it. Try to find that common ground, that connection, and try to get them to laugh. Yeah, and a lot of your examples, you know, they all there's – there's a part of all of them that's, you know, it wasn't properly organized, the event, whatever you were doing. And, you know, when I'm booking – either speakers or comedians for events, it's just really important to make sure they're the right fit for the audience and that the event is, you know, it's organized properly so that they're there at the right time and, you know, 
not after maybe a, a golf tournament where they've been drinking all day, but, but yeah, the right, it's all about timing and just finding that perfect fit and to make sure they're talking about things, you know, if it's a speaker or if it's, if it's a comedian, topics that are going to be relatable to the people in the audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, that relationship between the comic and the booker or the promoter is huge because if they understand each other, then they know how to put the right person in the right room. You really have to know the audience. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I remember one time writing for a comic who was an MC for a show and she said to me, and, and the woman was probably the whitest white woman that you would ever see. And uh, she said, I had this idea. What if I came up with like a um, deaf comedy jam bit and I would go up and I would go, I don't know what we could say on the show, but she was, she's like, yo, skanky bees and hoes, right? And uh, the oh entire front table is these women in their 70s. Oh my God. And the only people laughing in the room were me and the other comics because it was just such a weird mismatch. So this podcast is part of our speaker series. So I'd like to know from you, Chip, you know, what, what audiences do you, are you a really good fit for? What do you bring to, to corporate comedy when, when you're doing that kind of stand-up? Well, uh, I think it's after all these years, you know how to uh, connect with the room. So, I mean, of course, your, your age demographic, you know, I would say an audience from like 30 to 60 is a good audience for me. Um, but even a younger audience, you kind of try to find that connection. Um, and then also, they always say, if you can work clean, you work more. So it's very hard nowadays, colleges and corporate with political correctness and everything to um, get that match that really works because you're always worried that some joke is going to offend somebody. I remember doing a joke about male pattern baldness and this guy freaked out. You know, I could understand if he was bald, he had a full head of hair. I'm the one who should be freaking out about that joke. And he started screaming from the audience, get that guy off the stage. And I was like, what is going on? You know, it's like my father always told me, never talk about like, like politics, religion, and male pattern baldness. I should have listened to him. <laughs> so people can find you, Chip, if they want to book you, um, you know, on our website, celebconnect.ca. Where else can people find you and see what you're up to? Well, uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, also, chipambrosio.webs.com. I'm trying to turn that into just chipambrosio.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us again, Chip. Oh, thanks for having me. This was great. <laughs>